If you would, please take your Bibles out and turning them over to Psalm 34. As you know, as you worship with us, that on Communion Sundays we take a break from the normal exposition, which has been First Timothy. And generally we just do some sort of other themed message that goes along with our um, communion. The reason it's Psalm 34 this week, after thinking about the um, just life in general, the hardships that all of us face, uh, especially when death occurs. Uh, we've already mentioned the Braun family a few times. Rachel's grandma passed away, and she'll be heading up to a funeral soon. It, it reminded me of the fact that we do. We, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world of hurt and brokenness. We live in a world of pain because every face out here represents some sort of pain or hardship at some point in your life, some, some reason to lament, some reason to grieve and to struggle some reason to feel a deep sense of loss over whatever that may be. And so when we know that that's the normal, that's exactly how life goes, as the older you get, the more you realize that it's pain. That's what he says in the um, Princess Bride, life is pain, Highness. Anybody tells you something different is selling you something. Um, it's actually a good movie. Um, wow, I shouldn't have used that quote. I got off track there. <clears throat> but life is pain. It's hard, and we go through deep valleys. In fact, in the 23rd Psalm, Davis says, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil, for you are with me. But what David is anticipating there is there's going to be a valley of shadow and death. He's saying quite honestly that as we live, we will go through shadow and we will go through death. It is not lost on me that David also penned this psalm, which we will read here in just a moment, where he says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Because David had a sense of Yahweh's presence, God's presence in his life, and this understanding that, yes, my life is going to hurt. I'm going to tread through pain and suffering and misery, but God is with me and he is near to me when my heart is broken. And I think that sometimes Christians forget to live like that's true. That the grief, here's here, I want to say this out front. You should be lamenting. We should be lamenting. Lament should actually be a much more visible part of our lives than it often is. Carl Truman talks about this often about the absence of lament. So we should be people who lament. In other words, we should feel sadness deeply at a very deep level, especially those who understand the redeeming love of Christ and who see the reality of sin as it breaks things apart. We should live lives of lament. But that's got to be balanced out by joy, the joy of the true king who lives and reigns and who gives life who gives freedom as far as the curse is found, who gives truth, and who builds us up to be people of truth. So this morning, we're looking at this 34th Psalm. You can see that it actually one of the few Psalms that gives an inscription. We know we can link it to 1 Samuel 21, when David was caught in the clutches of the Philistine king, and he pretended to be crazy so he could escape. And so this Psalm represents his prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord for helping David escape a hard situation. So David, when he talks about being delivered here, he means it quite literally. This is not just a spiritualized psalm, although those themes are there, but he's talking about God literally saving him from a very hard circumstance. 
But he's using this as a teaching tool to say, now, why can you have confidence in God? Well, here's my testimony. God saved me, and he can save you as well. God was near to me in my time of need. He will be near to you as well. So without delay, let's turn our attention now to the psalm itself. Let's read it together. Beloved of God, this is God's infallible, inerrant word. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes his refuge in him. Fear, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who de desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing. Pray with me briefly. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for its power. Thank you for its richness, its depth, its beauty. Now use it to transform us more into the image of your son. That we would live believing that you are near to your people. This is through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as I've said, we've got this uh, ascription to David telling us that this, this was his response to the Lord of gratitude to the Lord for being saved out of, a, out of a hard situation. And so the primary objective of this psalm is really one, one very simple thing. What David is trying to do, the main idea is, He's trying to remind us God is faithful in the midst of our pain. So in the midst of our pain, that God is indeed faithful. Now, it may hurt. Uh, David, I mean, if you can go back and read 1 Samuel, he didn't have an easy go of it either. He had to walk through many valleys of pain. But the theme in, those, in that narrative in 1 Samuel, it's the same as this psalm. As he's doing it, as he's walking through this, as he's fleeing Saul and having to flee uh, the Philistines and having to navigate this very, uh, very dangerous path, God was with David. And those stories are written and recorded, A, because they've been divinely inspired by God and we've been instructed to know them, but B, to remind us of a simple truth in our lives. God never says there'll be no pain or affliction. What he says is, is I'll be with you in it. Not that I'll always take you out of it, and sometimes he does, and when he does, praise God. But so often he doesn't, because the whole point of the lesson, the whole point of life, is to grow in dependence on the Lord, and we do that more in those deep valleys where we're forced to have nothing but dependence on God. 
And so when we're looking at this psalm, David has given us the simple idea, God is good. And this is how God shows us goodness. So we're looking at the goodness of God on display, and we're being reminded that though we are crushed and heartbroken, God is near and gracious. And I'm not, I don't ever want to come off as minimizing anybody's pain because pain hurts, and nobody loves it, at least no, no normal person. And so this is not to say, well, just praise the Lord and smile your way through it. Weep, <laughs> weep, because sometimes that's the only response you can have is to weep, is to weep and lament and simultaneously know that I am not alone. I do not shed tears in isolation that the Lord is with me. Where do we see this most gracious display of God's presence in the midst of his people? Is the incarnation itself. When Jesus came to the earth as God in the flesh, the God-man, and he was the God-man on the earth among his people, that in the midst of darkness and death and sin and loss, God sent His Son to live with and as the people and to become the Redeemer, to be the Redeemer of those people so that in the deepest, darkest uh, den of pain and sin, the light of Christ comes and rescues. And so when we're looking at this paradigm, we understand that this psalm makes sense even through the eyes of the Incarnation because that's exactly what God has done. God came near to His people when we were broken and crushed to redeem as far as the curse is found. And so the incarnation, which we're getting ready to celebrate the, the Lord's Supper here in just a few moments, as we're looking at the death of Christ as a propitiation for us, we're reminded of how much God is willing to be near to the brokenhearted, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so we have this wonderful confidence, like I said, that through our tears, through our pain, through our crushed spirit, there is life and wholeness and beauty and goodness all wrapped up in this God who we love and serve. And so as David is laying this out, these first seven verses of this psalm kind of work as a simultaneous praise and confession. Dave, David praises the Lord, but he's also giving testimony regarding the Lord's faithfulness. Uh, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise continually be in my mouth. David starts it out, so this continual praise. And what he says when he says at all times, he's, 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 he's laying it out for us. Not just when it works in my favor, I will praise the Lord in all times. When it's easy, when it's hard, when it's fun, when it's not. When I'm in pain, when I'm good, when I'm well. So he's, he's given us the paradigm for what should define us as believers is a willingness to praise even in the deep, dark valleys. And that does not come easily to me. So I'm not, I'm not preaching as if I've mastered the art of that. But that yet, nonetheless, is how Scripture would encourage us to live as believers, is to have a continual sense of praise. But I love how personal he makes it. So he's given this general call, we need to be praise people, that we need to be lifting up praise to God. But he says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Or that word humble there can also mean afflicted. So my soul, so he makes it personal. But what is he saying? His boast is not in his soul. My soul, he says, boasts in the Lord. So his boast now is not in his ability to navigate these things. So remember, so he's given credit to the Lord for his ability to get away from the Philistine king. No matter what little thing David devised, he's saying it was the Lord's salvation that rescued me. So his boast now is not in himself, it's in the Lord. 
It's in God's goodness. It's in God's power. And so why do the afflicted, or the ESV uses the word humble, why do the humble or the afflicted have hope? Because God is a saving God. It's very simple to compute in our minds the difficulty comes when trying to live it out when those painful moments come. Because sometimes our response to the painful moment is more sinful than it is submissive, at least for me. Sometimes I kind of act like I don't deserve this instead of trying to find the Lord in the midst of it. And maybe you struggle with that too. It's a struggle of mine. I'm working on it. But he says, so he has this level of personalness. That my soul makes its boast in the Lord, but then he kind of makes it communal. Now he's drawing the church in with him. He's drawing the church and says, this is what the Lord has done. Now, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. In other words, celebrate this God with me. Celebrate our God with me. Look what he's done in my life. Look back over the things he's done in your life and let's come and magnify the Lord because he has indeed done great things for us. He's met us in our moments of pain. And as an aside, we look at this, and here's something that we should be known. We should be known by our worship. We should be known worshipers. There should be nothing that takes priority in our lives over the worship of God. And so as David is building, he's building, he's, he's, then he's, he's, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So now he's made his praise, he's invited the congregation in, and he's reiterating why. Why, why do I want you to worship with me? Because Yahweh is faithful. He, he answered by giving me peace and delivering me. Look what David says here. What he says is, not he delivered me from the Philistines, not he delivered me from a hard circumstance. What he says is, he delivered me from my fears, i.e., he didn't get taken out of it. He still had to walk it. But what he did was he had a peace now knowing that, A, God is with me, and God's deliverance is true and real, and I can count on it. I can count on God to deliver me. And so now we see this all coming together. And when he uses this phrase, those who look on him are radiant, the next verse, and their faces shall never be ashamed, I love the idea there, that beautiful passage. Those who look on him, read, trust, those who look on him are those who trust him. It says their faces are radiant and they shall never be ashamed. Well, we think of the vision of Moses radiating the glory of God from his face that he had to put a veil over. And that's kind of the notion here, that those who trust in the Lord will be reflections of his light. Our faces should radiate with the goodness and grace of God. And then he speaks of us never being ashamed. That is a powerful, powerful word. Because I would imagine, if you're like me, you can look back over your life and think of some things that you probably are ashamed of, even that you've done as a believer. And the truth of Scripture is God's love and mercy and redemption are such that as we trust in Him, we can live with no shame. That is a powerful message to the people of God. David's whole point, he kind of sums this up in verse 6. What he's saying is, as God has done this for me, he can do it for you. In fact, not that he can. It's not just that God is able. He will do this for his people. 
And again, we point back to the incarnation. The full picture of God doing this for His people is indeed the coming of Christ. He gives us another picture. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Now usually, a lot of times in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is either a theophany, an appearance of God, or what some people would call a Christophany, an appearance of Christ pre-incarnate. Or sometimes that phrase is just used as a general truism that God is present with His people, and He's, in present, he's present as the warrior, i.e. as the protector. And that's probably what David has in mind here, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. Those who fear the Lord, those who worship God, those who trust in the Lord, and we know that God's mercy is, is seen in His deliverance of His people. So that's what David is driving at here, that God delivers now, the rest of it, all, verses 8 to 22, really do incorporate a lot of wisdom. So this psalm would be called a thanksgiving psalm, but it could also be kind of labeled as a, as a wisdom psalm because David then starts to impart. He gives several express commands in these next few verses, about 10 of them, about how if God is with his people and we can trust him, what does that mean for us? How, how, how do we live our lives? Well, he starts off with a very, very familiar passage. Oh, taste it, oh, taste, express command, and see, express command, that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So at right out of the bat, right out of the gate here, experience and know God's goodness. We know it through our trust in him as life happens and as we live our lives and as we have to walk through those deep valleys and our trust in the Lord must grow because we can't navigate it ourselves, we are tasting, we are seeing that the Lord is good and that's how we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to be looking for ways to taste and see that the Lord is good. Fear the Lord, express command you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Now, lack for what? Because we may be aware of many people who know the Lord, who trust the Lord, who love the Lord, who seemingly lack something. The lack here, when we see this in Scripture, just like prosperity doesn't always mean physical goods, the lack here that David's talking about is a lack of God's goodness, a lack of God's presence, a lack of, of the things that we need in the Lord to live our lives out well. So we'll have no lack of what God wants to give us so that we can live for him. And then he, he says this kind of, when he was talking about fear, as I've said a moment ago, we're talking about true reverence, we're talking about true worship. But it, it leads, when we fear the Lord, we're worshiping the Lord, we're trusting in the Lord, it leads to us having confidence in that we're not going to have any lack. And this is exactly a similar message that Jesus preaches in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Then David uses a picture from nature. He says the young lions, they do lack. They do hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Young lions, think about something a predator, a very powerful predator, one who's kind of kingly and stately in his prowess, who probably gets what he wants. But David is saying those will lack before the people of God will lack because God is with his people. God is generous to his people. God loves his people. I love this verse. What man is there 
who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. Literally rendered, who is the man that desires life? Who loves to see good days? The question is, well, we all desire life. We all love good days. Well, how do we get to that point? We taste and see that the Lord is good. We put ourselves in the Lord's camp, and we trust in the Lord. And then David goes on to say, to say, and keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking to see. In other words, don't just trust and don't, don't just taste and see. Now be active against sinning with your mouth and with your actions. Seek to do what is right and righteous before the Lord. Turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Of course, that word there is the very common word that we know, shalom. And that sense of wholeness, that sense of well-being, their pursuit should not be evil and deceit. Their pursuit should be peace, peace with one another, peace with God, wholeness in the Lord. The eyes of the Lord, he says, are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry, cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them for all their troubles. A long way of saying that the Lord loves his people and he is near to them. As I've quoted so many times before from up here from Isaiah chapter 30, when Isaiah tells us the Lord waits or longs to be gracious to you. He desires it. And the Lord is for his people. He is there in our midst. And this all leads up. The wicked are cut off. The righteous are in God's good favor and good grace. This all leads up to this culminating verse, in my opinion, right here. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. When you think about these words, brokenhearted and crushed, there are many things that break our hearts in life. Death breaks our heart. Uh, divorce is heartbreaking. Some of the things we see going on in culture around us are heartbreaking. Relationships are heartbreaking. There are things that, quote-unquote, crush our spirit because they take such an emotional toll on us. So you have this one layer of human experience where we, when we see somebody being brokenhearted and crushed, we can relate to it. We've all been brokenhearted and crushed. The two Hebrew words that are used there are pretty interesting. Because the, the way that the words that David are using here are words that would imply also brokenhearted by what we see in ourselves and crushed by what we see in ourselves and needing God to be near us because we are poor in spirit and we can't live on our own. So in one sense, it's the experiences outside that, we, that break our hearts and crush our spirits. And it's the reality of who we can be inside that are breaking hearts and crushing spirit because we recognize our deep need for God's righteousness, even as we are redeemed. But here's the hope, here's the gospel message in that, that as we are crushed, as we are brokenhearted, the Lord is near. And so when we weep, when we wail, when we lament, we do not do it alone. We do it in the presence of the living God. And God's heart of mercy, what it means is that God's heart of mercy meets his people in their deepest pain. And so, beloved, maybe you're struggling to believe that this morning, but I'm, believe it. <laughs> oh, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Believe it this morning because this is the true message of the psalm. 
And he goes on to say, the Lord, or, or verse 19, rather, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers, out, delivers him out of all of them. Again, the righteous are still afflicted just like everybody else. But God is near to the brokenhearted. And he keeps his people. Verse 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. I love the way that that's stated. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. In fact, if you go to John chapter 19, verse 36, they quote this very psalm in speaking of Jesus because none of his bones were broken. But the, 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 the essence of this is, is God keeps his people. So he's just saying it again and again. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's faithful. He keeps his people. This is because David <laughs> is trying to press into our minds and hearts that God is near, God is faithful, and God is a keeping God. But I love the way he talks about many are the afflictions of the righteous, all his bones, or he keeps all his bones. Affliction will slay the wicked. Literally, what that says there in the Hebrew, uh, evil will slay the wicked, and those who hate right the righteous will be condemned. In other words, what happens is wickedness ends up eating itself. It ends up turning in on itself and destroying itself. We watch it happen all the time. We see it in culture around us. What's evil just generally tends to implode because it's not built on truth and life, and Christ. It's built on shifting sand, and it can't do anything but collapse on itself. So when we read this psalm, we're reminded here in the midst of this hope that the wicked are condemned and the righteous are redeemed. And so David's proclamation is, taste and see that the Lord is good. Trust in Him. C.S. Lewis, in The Problem of Pain, You've probably heard this quote before. C.S. Lewis says in that book, you know, in our joys, this is some sort of, this is not exactly, but this is about what it is. In our joys, God whispers, but in our pains, he shouts. And that has always been a powerful line to me because it, when, I'm, when I'm in a valley of pain, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, what are you shouting to me right now? Because I know that I'm not alone. I know that, that you are near to the brokenhearted, and I know there is something deep and true in this moment for me to grasp. And beloved, I really do believe that. I think when C.S. Lewis wrote that, he was trying to get us to the, that moment of recognizing that our, our pain is not for nothing. Pain is not for nothing. Hardship is not for nothing. I don't ever wish it on anybody nor myself, but I know the Lord is pleased to lead us in valleys of pain that we might learn more about Him and about ourselves. And so this morning, as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, and we think about the deepest, darkest valley of pain ever at Golgotha that Christ walked through so that he could be near to the brokenhearted and bring the brokenhearted near to the Lord. Beloved of God, even in our pain and our tears, we rejoice because God is good. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this time to be together in this word. Thank you for this psalm as it ministered to me this week. Father, I thank you for the rich beauty of your word, the simplicity of it, and also the depths that could never even be plumbed. But Lord, remind us, remind every soul in here that you are near to the brokenhearted, that you do save the crushed in spirit, that even in, our, even in the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because you are indeed with us and you bring comfort to us. Oh, Father, may we know it, may we believe it, may we preach it, May we live it. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.